0: We're going to turn to John's gospel now. It's chapter 10, as I was saying a few moments ago. It's page 1076. John chapter 10. It's the passage that is mostly about Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd, but you'll also see the image that he uses here about being the door, being the gate. It's also prominent. So John chapter 10 and verse 1, let's hear God's word. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever, listen, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We thank the Lord for this reading of his truth. Amen. Now, as I was asking a question to the kids and beginning our, our service this morning, I've got a, a, another bit of, of a quiz maybe for you lot. I'm not going to ask for any questions because the answers are a bit stupid and a bit daft. But the first question is, um, how do you put an elephant into a fridge? The answer is you open the door, you stick them in, and you close the door. Yeah, I thought it was a bit daft. Um, the Lion King is hosting a conference for all the animals, and they all turn up, except one. Which one is it? It's the elephant, because he's in the fridge. <laughs> or imagine that you're about to cross a crocodile-infested river. How do you get across? And the answer is you just swim, because all the animals are at the animal conference. Now yeah, you can really scratch your head to get your your sort of mind around some of those things. And the passage, if you were really focused on that passage we read from John 10 a little bit earlier, you might find that you are scratching your head a little bit as you go through that because Jesus, it's, he's not straightforward in what he says, but he actually uses a whole host of mixed metaphors. One time he's saying one thing and then he seems to to say another and he's mixing them all up at times because sometimes he's talking about being the shepherd and then he's also talking about being the watchman and then at other times he's actually talking about being the gate itself about uh, into the sheepfold. And so it's, it's all very strange but the, the central image to have uh, as we, we try and enter into this passage this morning is that last picture that I was showing up to the kids earlier where you've got that stone circular uh, sheepfold or, or sheep pen and there is only one entrance in and there's obviously only one way to get out of that and that's the, the entrance, that's the, the door, as it were, through which the sheep actually enter in. So even if it's not so much a door, it's just a gap. And that what Jesus is saying here is that, is that the shepherd himself becomes the door. And there's no way into that except you of either jump over the shepherd or you get the shepherd to move. So you've got this roofless uh, stone enclosure through which there is only one hole. And indeed, the, the manner in which Jesus elaborates a little bit and knowing some of the the details of how this happened a couple of thousand years ago may still happen to a certain degree is that there would be several different flocks would spend the night together in the one sheep pen. So you've got those shepherds all bringing their flocks together. They all go into the one pen and then I suppose... Several of the shepherds could have the night off. They could be on night duty. They could be sleeping. And there's one person whose job it is to be on guard and to look after all the others. And in the morning, then the shepherd comes and he calls his own voice. That's what Jesus was getting at here about the the shepherd calling his sheep by name and the, the proper sheep follow the right shepherd and that they'll not follow the wrong one. They know the shepherd's voice and they follow him. So in the morning, the shepherd comes, he whistles for his sheep, he calls their name, they follow, they come out through that hole in the wall. And that's also quite useful for the shepherd because that's a time when they're coming through, jumping through that hole one at a time, and the shepherd has the occasion and the, the time to to look at the sheep individually, and he's able to have a sort of a rudimentary health check on each of those animals as they come through. And so the importance of what we're reading in verses 1 and 2 is that the true shepherd is the one who stands in that gateway. Anybody else who's going to come into that sheepfold, that person... Is a, is a thief or a robber. I mean, let's read those couple of verses just to, to see what, what the Bible is actually saying here. And Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So there are, a few thoughts I think we can begin to draw out of these mixed images, because even as we end verse two, you see how Jesus is, is mixing up his thoughts. At one point, he's talking about being the shepherd who actually ushers them through the gate, and then at other times, he actually says he is the gate itself. But I think one of the images that comes out immediately from what Jesus is trying to say and what he's trying to reiterate to all of us by inference today is that by reflecting that Jesus is the gate or the door, is that there is a sense that we know that there is safety in knowing Jesus. And what Jesus offers to us, to each of us today, is a sense of this safety and security. So whether it was the fact that they once in the pen that there is evident security of the walls around them. But even outside the pen, in those pastures immediately close by, because the shepherd is there and he's watching over them, there is this sense of security. And following through also, as I was maybe hinting with the kids where this picture ultimately leads us to, it's in many ways a picture of our salvation. It's our ultimate security that is found in heaven itself. I mean, drop your eyes down to verse 28, and it's keeping with the same image, but what Jesus says in verse 28 is, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So there is very clearly this sense that our safety, our security is found in Jesus and it's in God alone. And yet this sense of safety, peace, security isn't simply something we get when we die. It's not a pie in the sky when we, do, when we die, but it is something that impacts our lives right now, this sense of peace, and security, and stability. And where I'm getting that is I'm looking at verse 9, where Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then he goes on, they will come in and go out and find safe pasture. Now, as you read that, you may not think that there is anything terribly striking about that because you're saying, of course you go in and you go out through a door or through a gate. That's pretty obvious. But that little phrase, come in and go out, is a very specific Hebrew idiom that would have been used time and again to describe the ordinary day-to-day events of your life. For instance, I read, Deuteronomy 28, verse 6, it says, you will be blessed when you come in and go out. So we've got this sense that what Jesus is talking about here, in the course of your normal day, the things that happen to you, the things that befall you, the things that maybe even that you're anxious about at times, even in the midst of that, there is this sense of security and peace and blessing. And I think that's important for us all to remember. Now it may be that your mind immediately now is going across our globe. And sometimes we can be filled with anxiety for what we're seeing happening at you know a corner of our globe when there's fighting and there's violence. And there's no call or need for any of it. And we feel for people who are distressed and who are in the midst of that. And we can see that we can be anxious and we can be fearful about things like that. But it's also, going back to this image of your day-to-day activity, you're coming in and you're going out. It's what happens to you. You may also be anxious and concerned about some people some of your friends who have got illness in the family, whether that's a a child or or whether that's someone who's much older. And again, there is this sense that even in those aspects of life, those things that, that you may be fearful about, even there, you should be knowing this sense of peace and blessing. So what is it that you're anxious about? What is it that you're fearful about? You should be knowing God's blessing and peace. So when we read God's word, we should be allowing those words to really speak into our lives. I'm going to read a couple of Bible verses now from the Psalms. And I'm sure you, like me, can turn to the Psalms, and you will always know as you read a Psalm that there is something there that speaks to you in your situation just as you're experiencing it. But if you're anxious and you are fearful about something— you can read something from Psalm 9. Psalm 9, verse 9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, Lord for you never forsake those who seek you. Again, when you read that, and you can maybe even speak a word like that to to someone who needs to to hear that today, you are speaking God's blessing into the normal events of their lives and encouraging them. Psalm 16, verse one, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Wonderful words just reminding us Whatever it is that is happening to you, whatever it is that is pressing upon your mind or that weight that you feel on your shoulders, there is this sense of finding safety in Jesus. That is a wonderful reassurance that Jesus can can lift those things for you. And so I think there's bound to be some of that in what Jesus is saying when he's describing himself as the gate, this place of safety, But as I was speaking to the kids, maybe one of the main aspects of all of this is just finding that Jesus, of course, is our Savior. Cast your eye down to verses 3 and 5. It says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will not follow a stranger. Have you ever thought about it that when Jesus calls and when Jesus speaks, that Jesus speaks to you individually? Don't be thinking, even as you're sitting here in in church or or listening online, that it's always somebody else that Jesus is speaking to as we, we explain God's word. But Jesus speaks to you and is concerned about you as an individual and speaks into the particularities of your situation. And that's something that John's gospel, I think, does bring out. John chapter 3, the focus is on Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. John chapter 4, you have got Jesus speaking very definitely, very deliberately to the woman at the well. John chapter 5, it's, it's, it's an invalid. In John chapter 9, it's the man who was born blind. In all of these situations, Jesus seeks out one person and he speaks deliberately and purposefully into that person's life. So even when he's speaking to crowds, he's still thinking about individuals. And that's the very first sermon that I spoke on this sermon series where Jesus begins to explain himself, and he's giving that encouragement to, to, to Philip. and he says in John chapter one, verse 43, and he says, "Follow me." In other words, come and find out a little bit more See for yourself what I am like. I am speaking to individuals. And even as we're reading John chapter 10, you can't really fully understand John chapter 10 until you look back at John chapter 9. And just to remind you what John chapter 9 was about, if you did flick a page back, you'll see that the focus of this is Jesus healing a man who was born blind. And you'll know that if you read that story that there's quite a commotion that's created by that because the Pharisees don't like Jesus' intervention and they don't like what Jesus is doing. He's showing them up. And, and this man who was born blind actually is very direct and, and he more or less tells the, the, the Pharisees because they, they, they find him and they quiz him and they interrogate him. And the blind man basically says that this guy is able to do something that you guys could never do. He's doing something. And the Pharisees are enraged by what his response is. And you see the response of the Pharisees in chapter nine, verse 34. And you can really sense the, the rage and the disgust that's in their voice for this man and what he's dared to say them. And it says, it's the Pharisees now speaking, and it's to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And then it concludes, and they threw him out. Now, do you see what Jesus begins to do now? Because as we've just heard from the Pharisees, remember, they were the ones who thought they knew everything about God. They were the ones who also assumed that they held the keys of the kingdom. They they were the ones, as it were, who had the power to bring people in and the power to keep people out. And they were able to do as they like. And so literally at the end of chapter nine, they've got this man who said the wrong things and he's, and he's revealed that he likes Jesus more than them. And so their response is to throw him out. We want nothing more to do with you. And how does Jesus respond to all of that? But he now takes a story about him being the gate, him being the door, Through which people actually come in. And you can imagine how the Pharisees responded to that. And what Jesus by inference is also saying is that particularly for people who may have a dubious background, like this man in in John chapter 9, Jesus is saying, I'm actually the one who welcomes people, whatever has been going on in their background, however they may feel they don't quite fit in. Jesus is saying, I am the gate through which people will find acceptance and come in. And I think that has also then to speak to us. And it has to speak to us as a church or a faith community about how we treat other people. Now, I'm always thinking, even in terms of the the mission of the church and part of thinking about what we do and how we respond in our day and in our society, we need to think not simply as we want to think, but also to take in on board how people outside of the church actually think about people inside the church. And... to also realize that when we talk to people outside of the church, what they think is perfectly normal, we may think, well, I'm not so sure about that. And there, there is this huge gulf at times between how people outside the church think about people inside the church and vice versa. And we may think that people's lives are very messy and we begin at times to wrongly, I would say, but we begin to grade t- sin in terms of, well, this one's really bad and this one's not so bad and, and this one's maybe borderline okay. And sometimes as we, we listen to people, we may even be tempted to allow our jaw to drop and we say, you did what? But as we're following Jesus, I think what we need to understand is that Jesus is about welcoming people and accepting people. Now, the difference about Jesus is that he doesn't condone sin. He doesn't ignore sin, but he allows people to enter where they are. But he doesn't leave people where they are because Jesus changes people. But we in the church need to be mindful of where people are coming from and respond to them in welcoming and accepting grace. And so we want to point people constantly to Jesus. And if we're picking anything up out of this story, it's about how we show that Jesus really is this door. This one, this welcoming door through which people come and if we want to encourage people we want to remind people and perhaps there's even someone in here today and you've been a little bit distant for Jesus there's something that is just keeping you back from finally surrendering your life and following Jesus fully but what you should find in Jesus is that Jesus is the one who accepts you. You don't have to have a perfect moral pedigree because Jesus takes you as you are. You may feel that there are holes in your holiness and there's something that is holding you back in all of that and that you will never be good enough. And you may have scars and you may have memories and you may have thoughts about all those things. And even though you may put on a veneer for other people, you can't put on a veneer for Jesus. And if you are on the verge of fully committing your life to Jesus, then I think there's something else in this image about Jesus being the gate that you need to know. And I think it's in terms of satisfaction. And it's the life that Jesus offers you. In verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it, To the full because Jesus wants you to experience fullness, purpose, satisfaction. And yet, do you ever feel that life is a little bit dull, a little bit routine, a little bit purposeless at times, and you wonder what it's all about? Or it's something simply that we must endure? Is that your attitude to life, just getting through, just getting by. Now that reminds me of a story of a man and his hamster. Each morning, Sam hits the wheel, stopping only to grab a little bite to eat. He's driven by some ingrained belief that his effort is actually getting him somewhere, but he's just going round and round and round. So it's trudge, 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 nibble, nibble, nibble. And it's only, well, the monotony is only broken up on occasions when he stops for a little treat. And that is Sam's daily life. And life for Sam's hamster isn't much different. Hope you got that. But if our attitude to life is that it's dull or that it's routine, it's because we're not living it as Jesus offers it. If we read again here of what it says at the end of verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The devil wants to kill, to steal, destroy. If you're not a Christian today, then you will know that what the devil wants to do is to stop you encountering Jesus so that you can't experience this fullness. And if you are a Christian and you've been following Jesus for a long number of years, it is still the devil's intention that you will not live life to its fullest. And yet this word about living life to its fullest is is describing something that is super abundant. It is excessive. It is beyond what is necessary. So that we are saying that this is really exciting. So what kind of life are you living right now? An abundant life. It's not just for a few. It's not just for super saints. It's for everyone. This is the life that Jesus offers you. He's chosen you for a purpose. He's chosen you to have value. He has put value upon your life and he gives you a purpose and a mission in life. And the question I think that we simply end with is whether we're going to allow the devil, to kill, steal, and destroy, to take that away from us, or whether we're going to zero in on what Jesus is offering us and how he is encouraging us to live. Perhaps we'll just pause as we we think that through ourselves as we pray. Let's pray. Lord, we still our hearts today as we, we just think this, through in our own experience, about what you would have for us. And Lord, this image of you being the the gate or the door, and as we remember what it is the door into and what you have done for us to make it possible. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for dying for us. We thank you, Lord, for dying for us so that we know that our life has value and purpose and that you are giving us something to be part of. Lord, lift our eyes that we might see this today. Lord, help us to see Jesus more clearly, to rely on him more fully and to rest in his grace. Amen.